We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Hello, everyone. I am. Yes, indeed. I am who you say I am. So talk about identity. Daniel touched on it in his rich talk of a couple of weeks ago, and then Charlotte spoke about it last week. And Charlotte sat listening to Daniel thinking, well, he's taking all my notes. He's taking all the things I want to say. And I sat in Charlotte's talk thinking, she's saying all the things I want to say. But of course, we say them in very different ways. But I think God is touching on identity at the moment. And these are two core things that keep coming back, are belonging and identity. So what is God saying? Let's find out. I was born in Japan in 1963, many years ago, in Yokohama, which is where the World Cup final was a few years. I spent a lot of time in Tokyo, and I lived in a very posh suburb of Tokyo called Azabu. And I learned Japanese, and I learned English. I spoke it with an American accent, and I won't try and do it now. The thing about Tokyo is, well, certainly in the 60s, it was a very open place. You can cycle around anywhere. You could walk anywhere. You were fairly safe. At the end of our street was a police station. And the policemen were very friendly in there. So I used to go up. I don't know how old I was. I guess about seven, six or seven. And I toddle up to the police station to see the men in their uniforms. The policeman said to me, so, what do you, what, you know, are you going to school? And I said, yes, I'm going to Nishimachi school. Ah, oh, good. And what does your father do? And people always ask things like that, don't they, to be polite. And uh, I said, I didn't know what he did. I had no idea what my dad got up to, except that he went to the office. So I said, well, he's an officer. And you can see the stat backs going up straight. Is he? Really? Whoa, how exciting. Because uh, officers work in offices, don't they? <laughs> to a seven-year-old or six-year-old, that's, that's, that made perfect sense to me. But they wanted to know what my dad did so that they could put me in a pigeonhole. They could work out who I was in relation to them in terms of society. And in Japan, it's very important because, you know, you give honor to your elders and betters. And, you know, it's a very honorable society. And they certainly paid me honor once they realized my dad was an officer. And they guided me home, and everything was great after that. It was, they were about three minutes walk away. <clears throat> As I grew older, this question used to come up an awful lot. And what do you do, young man? And even now, people still say, what do you do, young man? I think it's great. They're often something like, I don't know, 10 years younger than me. And they say, hello, young man. I'm not going to disabuse them of the notion. It's great. I'm just 40-ish. What do you do? And it kind of fills me with dread sometimes because I think, well, what am I? Um, my sons used to be asked by their teachers or by other people, what does your dad do? They could never answer. Much the same as I could never answer about my dad because it's, you know, people want to put you in a category. They want to pigeonhole you and uh, so that they can understand where you are. So you go to conferences, you go to parties, you go to a wedding, you sit next to people you've never met before. What do you do? I'm an actor. Oh, have you been in anything I've ever seen on television? I'm a musician. Oh, what instrument do you play? Uh, I'm a computer programmer. Oh, really? <sighs> Stifles yawn for those who are listening. I'm a team leader. 
uh, manage people and manage a team of unruly people, all of whom are very much cleverer than me. Oh, great. Tell me about that. Oh, I've just been made redundant. <laughs> That's another one I've said a couple of times. Oh, really? Have you got anything? Oh, you know, the usual stuff in the pipeline. What else? Uh, a project manager. I'm a business owner. Uh, current one is I'm a social researcher, which kind of makes people glaze over a bit. A few years ago, I was very privileged to earn a PhD. And so I can call myself doctor, which is great, but I use it sometimes. It's really only meaningful in academia, in universities or on papers. I put it on my bank statements. It looks very nice, but it doesn't mean the interest goes up or anything on my savings. It's, you know, the bank manager still wants me to bank with him rather than him to bank with me. And so months ago, we had smoke alarms installed and they were not working. So we called the fire brigade up because you can get your smoke alarms fitted free by the fire brigade. They started to go on the blink. So we called them back and they came up and they said, oh, wonderful. We're, they're all working now for you. Yep, batteries are all, you know, 10 years. The other ones were dodgy. You know how it is. Just ask you a few questions. Uh, do you smoke? Ha, funny things to ask a GP, isn't it? I kept quiet. I, there are GPs in the family, which is... <laughs> but also, I'm Bubba. And that's one of the best titles I've ever had. There's nothing quite like hearing a little voice shout, Bubba, when he's woken up. Or when I'm busy working, <laughs> I shouldn't be playing. But I can't resist, you know, I'm Bubba. That's another person, another person I am. So Joel chapter 2 talks about old men dreaming dreams. And I have to admit, I do dream dreams. I have dreams. About every three months or so, I have a dream that has significant spiritual meaning. Last night, weirdly, I had a dream that Nathan was fixing our roof with a hammer. And it wasn't just a flat roof. We're talking the proper roof, you know, the tiles. He was on there scrabbling, dreadlocks in the breeze, hammering. It was amazing. So I had this dream. It wasn't particularly spiritually significant, but it got me thinking. I was in the dream. I was trying to buy a train ticket. And this is something I do when I travel around. And I usually do it through machines. But this time I was in a queue and I went to the front of the queue and the person said, hello, and I said, yes, I'd like to buy a train ticket, please. That's great. Chacky, chack, 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 chack. What's your name? Oh, they don't normally ask me that. David Simmons, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't buy tickets. It says here on the computer that you're sometimes violent. Sorry, we can't send you a ticket. I was horrified. I woke up thinking, what? What was that about? I had been labeled. I had been labeled by a system. And there is a film with Sandra Bullock that was out many years ago, 1990, I think it was, called The Net, all about a woman whose identity is denied her. She starts finding out that her cards won't work and she can't get a taxi, and pretty soon she realizes the whole world is against her because her identity has been stolen, I think. I can't remember. But suddenly, it's a thriller, you know. It's her against the world. Sometimes systems label you. We'll talk a little bit about this. Labels are very useful things at Christmas time, as you will be finding out if you're not already there. Some of you really efficient people will already have bought your presents, wrapped them up, ready to go. 
to someone from someone, okay? You label. It tells you where the present needs to go. And then you throw the labels away, and then you forget who bought you what, and you don't know who to thank for what. But, you know, if you keep the labels, you remember what they are, make a little note with a pencil, and then you can find out, and you can thank the people. Labels identify. Have you ever been in a supermarket that you've never been in before, and you're trying to get one thing, and you go from the fruit stall all the way through to the groceries, to the bread, to the jam. You're trying to buy coffee, but can you find the coffee? And you look at alcoholic beverages. Nope. Baking goods. Nope. Bakery. Nope. And it goes on and on and on. And if it wasn't for those things, you would never be able to find the thing. You'd have to ask someone, and they would point you in the right direction. So labels help you. They give you signals and signs. Postcodes are great labels, aren't they? Labels identify, but the world labels us. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because we love the world because we want to see the world transformed by the power of God. And yet, the world has its own agenda. And sometimes it wants to pigeonhole you. Facebook. Sometimes Facebook labels you and sometimes you label Facebook. You label yourself on Facebook. When I first signed up for Facebook, it said religion. I thought, what? I'm not religious. I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm not religious. So I said, Yorkshire Terrier. And forevermore, people think, oh, we obviously got the wrong thing in the wrong box. I don't care. I'm not particularly fond of Yorkshire Terriers. So I just put it down. I didn't know what to put. Religion. Help me, please. Twitter, social media generally labels you. And people hide behind those labels. And sometimes they create their own little persona on there. And it's not really them. That's really funky, isn't it? Where's the integrity in that? Curious. Raw mail. Raw mail labels person. Good. And you'll be glad of it in the forthcoming weeks as all the parcels come through from whichever internet domain you buy them from. Or you know, uh, cards from people you know and love but haven't spoken to for many years. British Airways, airlines generally label you. Uh, you're a grown adult if you're three years old or over, according to many airlines. They know whether to give you an upgrade or not. They know whether to put you in first class or whether to sling you back in economy with all the cattle. The justice system labels you. This is an interesting one. An ex-offender. It's quite a stigma, isn't it? Can you ever lose that? Computer says no. Suddenly, you find that the world does not forgive so easily. Newspapers certainly don't forgive so easily. So you might be a conservative. All very topical at the moment. Might be Labour. Come on, let's keep it even. <laughs> you might be labelled by various media organizations, all the things that can label you and that enable you to understand. So if you want to get your news from a certain source, you go to the source that you trust, whether it be Reuters or The Times or The Daily Mail or whoever. 
if you want to get justice, you will go to the justice system, but the justice system might be quite draconian. It might be quite difficult to get through. It might pigeonhole you already, and it might be very difficult to fight against that. Labels organize. It's that time of year where we're getting decorations out of the loft, and uh, Amanda and I have a box, and we shout out to, the, to whoever's in the loft, have you got the Andean Leones yet? Oh, they're just here, Andean Leones, in this box here. All right, pass them down. Or we could say, have you got the David and Rhodes yet? So they can organize, but they pigeonhole. They can restrict us. They can restrict how we see others. The two sides of this coin, labels can restrict us, and they can restrict how we see others. How often do you sense in your spirit your eyes rolling when you see a certain person walking down the street? Oh, I don't want to talk to them right now. Awkward. I remember Mark McGrath several years ago talking about how we sometimes score people. Oh, they're a three out of 10. Oh, they're a seven out of 10. Ah, he's my good friend, nine out of 10. But actually, God doesn't do that. And sometimes we pigeonhole too. And we need to think about this. We'll be having an opportunity later to just ask God to show up any parts of us where we pigeonhole others. So a couple of years ago, uh, God spoke to me. I was pondering my purpose in life, which I do from time to time. Actually, I think it was the time, may have been the time, where I laid out cards of all the things I was... I got on, on the floor and said, God, what, you know, show me, show me what's, what's going to happen with these things. And there were, some of them were dreams I had. Some of them were things I was doing. Some of them were things I'd like to do. Unfulfilled dreams, prophecies I'd had but hadn't come true. And one of them was grandchildren. And I said to God, yeah. oh, God, you know, I could find my grandchildren. He said, I've got it sorted. And that was before any of our boys had girlfriends or anything. So it's very exciting. God does stuff. And this particular day, he said to me, David, why do you always have to label everything? <laughs> you are my son. That is your purpose. And actually, if you remember nothing else, just dwell on that for a while. You're my son, you're my daughter. That is your purpose. Purpose, chief end of man, is to know God and enjoy him forever. That's it. But what will I achieve? What box can I tick? What will I be? Who will I be? Will I be quotable in many years to come? Will people find David Simmons' quote online and think, whoa, he was, doesn't matter. Makes no odds. You are my son. That is your purpose. I was at a conference <clears throat> a few weeks ago, Heaven in Healthcare in Eastgate Church in Kent. It was an amazing conference because I got a lot of people in healthcare there, and they were talking about the way in which God was using them in healthcare. Anyone who had anything to do with healthcare, however marginal, could be there. And they had doctors, so I had lunch with a, a bunch of GPs at one point. 
you know, talking to various people who were significant commissioners of services in the NHS. There were quite a few very important people there, and there were some interesting labels to read on people's lapels and things. And you get to talk to these people and think, what's little old me doing talking to these people? It's amazing. I was there because I'd written a paper about faith-based providers in healthcare. But these people were really doing the stuff. They were working in A&E. There were nurses. There were doctors. There were surgeons. And there were commissioners. The high and mighty. Towards the end of the conference, God came. We asked God to come, and he came in power. It was quite funny because it didn't matter where these people sat in terms of their job title. They were experiencing the power and the presence of God as much as I and that just made me think, well, that's amazing. It's a great leveler, knowing Jesus, because it doesn't matter how long your lapel badge is, no matter how many letters you've got after your name. I've got a load of letters after my name. They don't mean much. But you're still children in the sight of God, and you're still able to receive powerfully from the Holy Spirit. It was a very encouraging time. How often can you go into a room full of people you don't really know and tell them about yourself without using any kind of label? Many of you have a label that you can easily grab hold of. You might be a teacher. You might be a mum. You might be a dustman. You might be a worship leader. You might be who knows what. You might be retired. I want you to think about an alternative label for yourself, a label that reflects a little more about what you are in your spirit. Father, encourager, carer, servant, generous, lifelong student, forgiven. Labels restrict. Is this all I ever will be? Are you leave? Are you remain? Are you left? Are you right? We love to label ourselves. We love to get into groups. Have you noticed how much of the world is now segmented into groups? People give themselves an identity in order to join a particular group that they identify with. It may be the People's Front of Judea or the Judean People's Front. It could be a, do you know what I mean? Are you, are you one thing? Are you another? You polarize yourself, which is kind of bonkers, really, because people are so much more subtle than that. There's so much more to us. And yet we are so easily polarized as people by politicians, yes, but by other people, too, by ourselves quite often. How many of your labels are helpful or accurate. Remember, this could be labels that others have given you or that you've given yourself. Because over time, the labels we give ourselves can sometimes get a bit skewed. Labels have power, but who has the greater power? We also have great power. And uh, as um, the famous saying goes, with great power comes... Yes, indeed. Thank you, Spider-Man. 
we also have great power because we wield with our tongues great power. And we may not think when we see someone coming towards us, they are a, they may not say rather, we, we think they're a three or a four out of ten. But at some point it will come through in the things we say to them or worse, the things we say about them to other people. That's where it gets really nasty. So we have power and power over our own, our own identity and power over the identity of others. Let's look at the labels we give others. Sometimes accurate, but we need to review them because they are a new creation in Christ quite often if they're a Christian, if they believe. And we need to, we need to give them a chance to move from whatever score that we've given them Well, they've always been that like. They can never change. That's who they are. I've spent so much time with this person. Ah, and it never changes. Pastorally, can we ever afford to give up on people? Something I'm grappling with regularly. Can that person ever change? Let's look at labels we've been given. And... This is a lifetime of accumulated stuff. Our house is full of stuff that the boys have accumulated and they've gone on to other houses and somehow the stuff stays with us most of the time. But to be fair, I like to collect stuff and I do collect a lot of stuff that has very little value And there's a shelf in front of me as I work every day, groaning with stuff that I really probably don't need and I probably could throw away. It's probably all online, but I just keep it there just in case. I have that kind of a hoarding mentality a bit. And so in the same way, we can hoard things that people have said to us. We can hang on to things. It could be through bullying that we experienced at school. 70 years ago, potentially, and yet we hold on to it, and it's shaped our character and our identity. And it can also inform the labels that we give ourselves. Well, I am a loser because my, the guys who bullied me at school called me a loser, so I must be a loser, so I am a loser. Will I always be like this? Labels can lead to polarization, as we talked about. Left, right, leave, remain. It's all very, very subtly clunky. It can lead to stigma. We can stigmatize ourselves so that no one else does it. Listen, I've rejected myself, so you don't have to. You don't have to worry. I've already done it. I'll cast myself out. That's not right. And it can lead to shame. Now, shame is a whole sermon in itself. In fact, it's a whole weekend of seminars. In fact, it's probably a lifetime study. However, Bill Johnson puts it quite succinctly in this quote. In a culture of rules, not only do people expect punishment when they fail, but they are overwhelmed with shame. Shame isn't just a feeling. It is a spirit 
that attacks the identity of the individual. The spirit lies to the person, saying, you didn't just fail, you are a failure. You didn't just make a mistake, you are a mistake. What's the answer? It's very simple. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. David Pawson, a preacher, once made uh, an interesting impact preaching in Northern Ireland uh, during the Troubles when he said there will be no Catholics in heaven. There will be no Protestants in heaven either. There will be no race in heaven. There will be no labor, no conservative in heaven. There will be no male nor female. There will be no slave nor free, no Jew, no Scythian, nor Greek. It's all in the Bible. It's all there. We are his first and foremost. We are his children. Why do you have to label everything? You're my son. That is your purpose. This is the real deal. And some of us, many of us still, are walking around with the baggage we've collected over the years of labels that others have put on us or we've put on ourselves. Amanda. So a few years ago, I found an old school report of mine, and I think I was about seven at the time, and it said in the school report, Amanda is slow and she won't amount to much. I was quite shocked when I read it. It was, I don't know, maybe it was even 20 years ago that I found it, I'm not sure. And I thought back, and I thought, okay, so I would, it would have been the early 70s when I was at school, and I thought back to what school was like, and I remembered that if I put the date on the wrong line, I would get shouted at, or if with my little pencil I accidentally went into the margin, I would get yelled at, and I was so careful to get it right because I was scared of getting shouted at, but I also cared about what I did. So actually, I wasn't slow. I was conscientious and careful and a bit terrified. And I think I've said before that my mind will naturally, if I just let it uh, unchecked, go down the line of what other people think of me, oh, gosh, I made that mistake, or what do they think now? That would be my natural default of thinking. And I realised, as I was thinking about this, that, that that running that goes on in my head allows time for stuff to stick that shouldn't be there. I decided to spend a bit of time thinking with God and asking him to show me, what if I asked him even over the everyday ordinary stuff, what do you say? What do you think about me? So, okay, I just messed up. I forgot to do something that I promised someone I'd do. And so instead of going down my usual, okay, God, what do you say about me? Maybe I said no to something which I found hard or I thought someone else would like me to say yes to. So rather than spend time labeling myself as this, that, and the other, what does God still say about me? And I found that that kind of interrupted that process for me where I could 
start to stick labels on myself and then live under that and go through the rest of the day thinking this, that and the other about myself. Um, so it really helped, actually, to just stop, even in those ordinary things, and say, OK, God, what is the truth here? Just let me take a minute. And I probably slept a bit better as well, actually. So I once bought a long sleeve T-shirt from Sainsbury's, and I wore it to work. And when I was doing a job some years ago, I was training different groups of people during the day, different courses. And so I wore my new T-shirt, and I got home in the evening... And something caught my eye, and I looked down, and I'd got a big sticker that said, final price, three pounds, stuck <laughs> on my long sleeve T-shirt. Now, I have had a little cardio over it, so it wasn't, like, fully there, because I hope that somebody, or possibly my husband, <laughs> might have noticed before I went out the door. But I was so embarrassed, because it was a big sticker. But I wonder what it would be like if we just ask God to kind of catch us in those moments when we're wearing something that we shouldn't be or we put something on somebody else that we shouldn't be doing. And I think we can do that. We can ask God to help us to do that. Nothing should have a greater authority over me than what God says I am or who I am. And I, I'm not there. I'm kind of practicing on that way. But imagine what difference that would make. Thank you very much. I woke up this morning with a line going through my head, break the mould. And I think that's what God wants to do to some of us here today, is break the mould that you've been trapped in for so long. Another thing Bill Johnson says is, I cannot afford to have a thought in my mind about myself that God doesn't have. And so much of our mind is filled with stuff that isn't from God. And it's time now to listen to what he says, to hear the truth of I am who you say I am. What labels are you carrying? If you agree with a lie, it feeds it and therefore it grows and becomes bigger than you. But God can break that lie in an instant. What lies have you thought about for other people? Perhaps you have a grudge against someone in your family. Our families are full of grudges to a grievous extent. Um, people don't talk to each other for decades and they die without actually resolving issues. Is there something you need to get right with someone in your family or in your family of faith? Now is the opportunity to do that. Let's close our eyes. Father, we give you thanks from the bottom of our heart that you are a God who loves us much more than we deserve. Um, and that love will always go right above everything, whether it's what others have said over the years, whether it's what we've said to others over the years, what we think about others, what they think of us, what we think of ourselves. We give all these things to you and say, Holy Spirit, examine our hearts. Shine the light and let us see it dis dissolved and dealt with in an instant. Because we are who you say we are and we are a new creation in Christ. Amen.
you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities, and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk, or Twitter at lifelineuk. Thank you.